Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 17 of the SmackDown Wind Down, recapping the highs and lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. I am your host and humble god, Keela Cash. Thank you so much for joining me as week 17 of the WrestleSoftopia Network officially comes to a close. Happy Saturday morning, afternoon, and evening to you all as we bid adieu to another very busy and emotionally draining week in professional wrestling, but it is double or nothing day for AEW, a show that we were certainly expecting to take place in Las Vegas dating back to last year, but here we are. It's another empty arena show, minus the wrestlers making noise in the building, but it's going to be a fun and eventful night, I believe, despite the so-so build to some matches. I think the key matches are going to deliver for the most part. And I do want to note a change on the card regarding one of the women's matches. Instead of Chris Statlander versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD is going to be Penelope Ford taking Britt's place against Statlander on the pay-per-view. Britt suffered an injury during the tag team match featuring herself teaming up with the AWMS champion Nala Rose against Chris Statlander and Akira Shida in a tag team match on Dynamite this past week. And during the match, Shida and Statlander threw Nyla Rose into Britt Baker and Rose inadvertently landed on Britt's knee and it bent backwards in a very awkward direction. So she was taken out of the match, tended to by medical personnel, and she had an MRI done on Thursday, but we don't know the status of her condition and she has been very private about what's going on on social media. So until she says something with a level of consensus and confirmation from the doctors, I'm not gonna speculate, but I will say it did not look good on Wednesday and they're taking every precaution to take care of her. She was starting to get over as a major heel, was gonna be a centerpiece in the women's division in 2020 and she was hitting her stride, having some of her best performances in the ring as of late. So hopefully this is going to be a setback temporarily for a major comeback somewhere down the road. I don't wanna estimate timelines or absences, but hopefully she'll be back very soon because she was definitely a bright spot in the AEW women's division. So that is the one change to the pay-per-view thus far. If there are any other changes, I will let you know accordingly on social media over the next few days. And if you want to get a complete wrap up from the go home show this past Wednesday, check out episode number 11 of the AEW Dynamite slash NXT Potpourri mashup now playing on all of your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Plus, Amazon Alexa, and Spotify. So download, subscribe, and listen today, anywhere, anytime, especially today, if you want to get caught up prior to the pay-per-view, why we'll also run down the card to know what to look forward to on tonight's show. And me and special guest co-host Tom Batista will be recapping everything AEW Double or Nothing Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern on Memorial Day with the official Double or Nothing wrap-up show right here on the WST Network. So be on the lookout for that. But right now, it's all about Friday Night Smackdown on Fox, which emanated from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, taped last Tuesday. 
Yes, we're working a week behind, but we are in the current timeline. Nothing is being taped so far ahead. The things already happened in the present future in the past tense, if that makes sense, a la Money in the Bank from earlier this month. We are on the road to crowning a new IC champion as the tournament continues, as well as setting up some things for the Backlash pay-per-view, which is really running with the theme of having the greatest match ever featuring Randy Orton and Edge, which is a tall task to say the least. But WWE is all in on this branding. I don't understand why they're going so hard in the paint, but that's their choice to give this pay-per-view some shine. I will say this could be possibly the greatest match in the empty arena era thus far in WWE. Maybe be the greatest match in backlash history. Maybe to be the greatest match in the month of June ever. But I'm never going to say I've witnessed the greatest match of all time because there's many goats around here that are simply too hard to rank. And I've used a lot of hyperbole for NXT in the past when it comes to greatest takeover matches or greatest NXT championship matches. I can say that because of the history is so limited and we've seen a whole lot of great shit from NXT over the years. And I can use that for WWE sometimes and AEW as of late as well when it comes to Dynamite shows or pay-per-views because it's in their infancy. But when you have 50 years worth of history for WWE going on 60, quite honestly, it's hard to encapsulate the greatest thing we've ever seen ever. I can always say one of the greatest, not the greatest, because we are grading on a curve and I have to be fair when I say that Edge and Orton are not gonna have the greatest match ever, but I expect them to have a great match nonetheless to make up for that last man standing match that took place at WrestleMania almost a couple of months ago. So here's hoping for some much needed redemption in a traditional wrestling setting. Fingers crossed and all that jazz. Now it's time to take a deep dive into all things Friday Night Smackdown by focusing on the Universal Championship picture featuring Braun Strowman feuding with The Miz and John Morrison of all people heading into the Backlash pay-per-view in a few weeks time on the WWE Network and it was definitely a choice because Morrison and Miz has been talking about Strowman a lot lately, poking fun at him and Bray Wyatt taunting him with puppets in recent weeks. And now they're spoofing the Firefly Funhouse with some lame ass puppets that did nothing for me. And I hate the toilet humor, but it makes Vince McMahon smile for whatever reason. A 74 gone and 75 year old man getting off on poops and fart jokes. Yay us, the viewer. And they wonder why ratings are so low during the pandemic, but hey, more poop and toilet humor to get you through your night and to make us fans wonder why do we watch sometimes. But things got slightly better once Braun Strowman came out and Morrison talked up Miz saying he's ready to fight you. He's a former champion. He's this and that and the third. He's ready for you. Hype this man up for a slaughter which took place after the commercial break. Miz has some hope spots, but the outcome was never really in doubt. Morrison did get involved by launching from the barricade and kicking Strowman upside the head, which gave Miz the temporary advantage as he slammed Strowman into the steel steps. But eventually, Strowman regained the advantage and pinned Miz with the running power slam for the one, two, three. Morrison grabs a mic and says, hey, you beat Miz, you beat me last week, but how about you try to beat us at the same time in a handicap match for the Universal Championship. Strowman accepts and the match is official for Backlash, which will take place on Sunday, June 14th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. 
This is a curious match. And as I mentioned a few months ago, I have been advocating for Morrison to have a meaningful singles run during his second venture in WWE. He's 40 years old. He does not look it though. And he is talented. His athleticism and skill is solidly intact. He is one of the best performers in WWE and all of professional wrestling for that matter. And I do believe he's worthy of having a championship run at some point on the solo tip. And unfortunately, you're going up against a Braun Strowman who's not the best person to work with, but Morrison can definitely perform miracles under the most trying of circumstances. And Miz is solid in the ring as well. And I expect Miz and Morrison to have a pretty decent match with Strowman over the Universal title, with Morrison having a breakthrough performance along the way that could open eyes to WWE management to say, maybe we need to push this guy a little bit more because he can definitely be a viable threat in the Universal title, IC title picture as well, because he's that good. And I don't want his prime years to be squandered in a tag team with The Miz, even though they're great as a team, I adore them. But Morrison, based on what I've seen thus far from his return, he can offer so much more as a single star. He did it on his way out the door from WWE eight or nine years ago, and he can definitely deliver once again when the lights are on bright, even during the empty arena era. So we shall see how it plays out. I don't expect the best match ever, but I expect a solid match nonetheless at the Backlash pay-per-view in three weeks time on the WWE Network. Moving on to a WrestleMania match revisited from two years ago with AJ Styles, who in post-production has been traded to SmackDown. Yes, you heard that right. Michael Cole did some dub lines saying that AJ Styles has been traded to SmackDown and will be offering up future superstar considerations in the future in lieu of the trade. So this was a shocking move and it kind of makes sense because if AJ Styles is vying for the IC title and if he wins, then due to this brand invitational, he can only show up four times a year. So by the time he runs up his fourth appearance, he's going back to Raw possibly with the Intercontinental title. So that does not make sense. So therefore the move to SmackDown does make sense in hindsight, even though it was dubbed in at the last possible moment. But AJ Styles always fit like a glove on SmackDown dating back to the second brand split back in 2016. And he had a great run as WWE champion two times over. Always live a great matches against Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, for instance, Samoa Joe, Kevin Owens, when they weren't saddled with bullshit booking, even carried Jenna Mahal to a great match in London where he regained the championship. AJ has been such a focal point on SmackDown, the house he built all those years ago. And to see him back home where he belongs is definitely a treat. And the door is wide open for quality opponents, specifically in the IC tournament. And he had the make good we've been waiting for since WrestleMania 34 when it was Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles dueling it out to find out who would face Elias in the semifinals of the IC tournament. And this was a very good match. And I'm going to say it right now. This was much better than their WrestleMania match two years ago. And the reason their Mania match fell short was because one, it took place after 11 o'clock PM Eastern. And number two, it just didn't have a good flow to it because we hyped the match up in our heads, dating back to their work in New Japan all those years ago, their chemistry we've seen on full display. So we're thinking we're gonna get like a Tokyo Dome treat at the Superdome in New Orleans and we got this ho-hum match for the WWE title. And it ends with Shinsuke Nakamura kicking AJ Styles in the balls after he loses. We have another ho-hum match 
at Backlash the following month, but then we had a peak in what could have been during their last man standing match at Money in the Bank the following month after Backlash. So we had one solid match between the two, but we still didn't get that match, that match that really stood out as being great. And we got it last night in a 15 minute bout that featured great action throughout, great strikes, great athleticism, great psychology from both men. The counters and near falls were on point. Shisuke Nakamura nailing AJ Styles with a series of knees to the face for near falls was great. AJ Styles locking in the calf crusher and Nakamura barely making it to the ropes to break up the hold was great as well. The closing moments were especially good with Nakamura dropping Styles with the Mishinoku driver for a near fall. He sets up the Kinshasa, but Styles blocks it and rolls him up, but Nakamura catches him in a triangle that almost had AJ fading for a moment, but he powered through and countered with the Styles clash for a near fall. From there, Styles goes for the phenomenal forearm, only for Nakamura to kick him in the head midstream. Nakamura charges up the style and Styles returns the favor with another kick to the head towards Nakamura which sets up the phenomena forearm as AJ Styles wins and advances to the semifinals of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. And this was a great match in the empty arena setting. Nakamura and Styles brought the energy, brought the energy, brought the energy. I can't say it enough because it's what you need when you're having long matches. And you can do them when you have the right people in place to deliver the goods. And they definitely did that last night. Very impressive outing from both men. AJ Styles is back home in the house he built dating back to 2016. And the dream scenario is in the finals of this tournament, it is going to be AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental Championship with the winner possibly being crowned at Backlash. That would be the hope, the goal, the intention, fingers crossed and all that jazz. They would have a great match. Not the greatest match of all time, but a great match nonetheless. And yes, I'm going to roast that lingo into the ground. Blame WWE for that. Now, I have aired my grievances with Charlotte Flair on NXT recently. And it's not because I dislike Charlotte. I love Charlotte. I love the fact that she is the NXT Women's Champion. I love the confidence she's displayed as of late. She is one of the MVPs of the empty arena era. She had the best match of WrestleMania against Rhea Ripley to win said title. Her promo work at NXT television has been great. She had a great match against Mia Yim a couple of weeks ago and an even better match against Io Shirai before that bullshit DQ finish. And she's offered another DQ finish when Rhea Ripley was facing Io Shirai in the main event this past Wednesday night, which pissed me off even more. And that is no offense to Charlotte the performer, it's the booking that makes her look bad at the end of the day. So you couple that and showing up on Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, it's a bit excessive and I have a bit of Charlotte fatigue, but her work as a performer is unmatched. And her match against Bailey, champion versus champion, was excellent. And Bailey, I have to give her a standing ovation from the comfort of my own home because she has clued in who she is as a heel. It took a while, and trust me, on this show early on, I went in on her because I hate a depressed champion who gives me no life or energy, and she gave me that for months. But now she's in her zone. She feels it as much as Charlotte feels it in this setting. And they had a battle during the second hour of SmackDown. We had chops, 
forearms, punches, kicks to the face. We had Charlotte throwing Bailey over the barricade and then getting on Michael Cole's headset and telling Sasha to come on out here so she can kick her and Bailey's ass at the same time with Bailey turning up the intensity after the commercial break. We had crazy near falls and counters and Charlotte going for the moonsault and missing on her feet only to kick Bailey directly in the face. We had Bailey going for her elbow drop the first time and Charlotte blocks it when Bailey comes down for the top rope and Charlotte knees her in the abdomen, which sets up the Boston Crab as Bailey escapes. Once again, she hits the elbow drop eventually for a near fall and then she chops Charlotte and she wants more. Charlotte says, give me more. She laughs it off. She's feeding off of Bailey's abuse and she keeps serving chop after chop after chop. It's just Charlotte tilts over and Bailey goes for the ultimate insult to injury by going for the figure four and dare I say even tried the figure eight but Charlotte blocks her mid leg lock and punches her right in the face and from there Charlotte gets back up and chops Bailey in the corner chop after chop after chop talking shit the entire time the closing sequence includes Charlotte rolling up Bailey for a near fall only for Bailey to reverse the momentum and grab the top rope for leverage to get the one two three on the NXT Women's Champion Charlotte Flair as Bailey gains another victory on the Queen once again in a hard fought battle. And I loved it. And most importantly, Sasha Banks did not play into the finish at all. Bailey told her to stay in the back because she does not want to play into the rumors that Sasha always bails her out of trouble. And Bailey proved last night that she can get herself out of a jam by any means necessary. And this was a really good match. Bailey and Charlotte always have great chemistry. I thought their pay-per-view matches last year were a little bit underwhelming, but this, in this setting, they were at their best and they delivered the goods. If this had an audience, I think they would eat it up, but I think it worked because both of them are heels at the moment and that would have confused a live audience. And I don't think the heat would have been as strong despite the work they put in. I could be wrong and it could depend on where they were performing at that they can really sense the energy from both ladies. But in this setting, I absolutely loved it. The trash talking was on point from both ladies and Michael Cole <laughs> being the brunt of Bailey's ire is always an added bonus in my estimation. So this was a strong television match and it proves that oh my god charlotte can be pinned in the ring she's not completely invincible the queen has flaws and she could lose the nxt women's title at takeover in your house versus io shirai and rhea ripley oh my gosh it's possible so please Eo and Rhea beat her ass the next time you see her to level the odds and stop these DQ fuck finishes on NXT. And it should be noted, Charlotte is also in the running to face Asuka for the Raw Women's title at Backlash if she can get past Natalya and Nia Jax in a triple threat match, which will go down this Monday on Raw. And I have to note that Natalya, who's lost in consecutive weeks to Shayna Baszler, is in this match and Shayna's not, which... It makes sense if you're trying to protect Shayna, but booking is completely illogical when Natalia gets a title shot opportunity and she's lost the last two weeks on television. So I guess Liv Morgan and Bianca Belair are too busy, but once again, I don't want them eating pins either. So this is a rock and a hard play situation. And in this case, why not just give Nia Jax a fucking match and be done with it instead of overcomplicating matters with this match that does no one any favors knowing that Natalia and I'm not even going out on a limb here is going to probably eat the pen to Nia Jax because Charlotte ain't getting pinned twice in one week. And to quote the great Paul Heyman, that is not a prediction. It's a spoiler.
Just saying. Moving on to a mixed tag team match featuring Otis and his peach Mandy Rose, who's dressing in Otis attire against Sonya Deville and Dolph Ziggler. Let's be honest, the match was dressed okay. Dolph and Otis were basically secondary players to the action between Rose and Deville. That was pretty solid for the most part. Deville is still very good at what she does in the ring and her personality is shining through as being this maniacal, evil former best friend that wants to destroy Mandy Rose's life at every turn. And she did just that with a running knee to the back of Mandy's head for the win. After the match was over, Otis consoled Mandy in the ring, but he was kicked in the head by Dolph Ziggler for good measure as Sonya Deville and Dolph Ziggler walked to the main stage with a smile on their face. This was a great way not to do 50-50 booking to make Sonya Deville look as strong as possible, which WWE should, as she is going to be a breakout star in the women's division if they don't screw this up. My only caveat is I want to see Mandy Rose and Sonya have the match on pay-per-view, preferably backlash, to really have a showcase, to see what they can truly do with 15 minutes uninterrupted commercial free give us that former best friend enemy energy going back and forth and telling a compelling story between the ropes and that is what i want to see them do they're best friends in real life and i know they can bring out the absolute best in each other to really add some more dimensions to this storyline and that is something i would like to see in a more intimate setting when they're given time to shine to the fullest and as for otis and Dolph ziggler a return match it wouldn't surprise me at all, but I will note this for the Otis and Mandy relationship. And this is getting a lot of noise in wrestling circles as of late. And it's that it's not a believable relationship. I'm still all in, but we need a little bit more affection from the two of them. We had that big kiss at WrestleMania, but other than that, it's a peck here, a peck on the cheek there, and they're canoodling every so often. There's no real intimacy in the relationship and that is what draws people in. We see it with other couples, real life and otherwise. Look at Bobby Lashley and Lana. They tongue down each other relentlessly during their horrid build up to their wedding a few months ago. So we need not that level of raunch, but a level of, hey, they're a couple, they love each other. Just give us the whole enchilada of affection. Don't go half-stepping because the build-up to WrestleMania was perfect and the crescendo was met but now we're leveling off a little bit and we're backsliding which isn't a good thing so hopefully we can get back on track and see the couple do I don't know couple goal things just saying moving on to our main event of the evening our second IC championship tournament quarterfinal match featuring Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus and a pretty one-sided match for the most part Sheamus brutalized Jeff Hardy throughout the match. Jeff had some hope spots here and there, but Sheamus beat his ass from pillar to post. He threw him against the announce table. Sheamus got in Michael Cole's face because him and Bailey have serious beef for Cole. I don't know why, but he's definitely been the whipping post during the empty arena era who's taken it from all sides. Jeff did have some spurts featuring the whisper in the wind from the top rope for a near fall as well as a flying senton that Sheamus blocked as well. And Sheamus went for the bro kick. Jeff Hardy stopped to midstream and rode him up for the one, two, three to advance to the semifinals of the IEC title tournament and will face 
Daniel Bryan next week on Friday Night SmackDown as AJ Styles faces off against Elias in the second semifinal match. And that's going to be two interesting matchups next week as Sheamus was fuming in the ring as SmackDown went off the air before the top of the hour. Ending wise, this was a strong episode of Friday Night SmackDown. The opening segment withstanding, this was the second best episode of SmackDown during the Empty Arena era thus far. And one of my favorite episodes of SmackDown this year because the entering action is pretty strong throughout. There was hardly any fluff on the show of note and every match had a purpose and a meaning. And that's all you can want for your wrestling show. You don't want extra bells and whistles that are just there for the sake of being there. You want everything to have meaning, every segment, every match to have intention. And last night did exactly that. So hopefully next week's show can be equally as good with the semifinals of the IC tournament featuring, as I mentioned, Elias versus AJ Styles in one match. And on the other side of the bracket, we have the babyface versus babyface dynamic of Daniel Bryan versus Jeff Hardy. And that should be another good match as well. So SmackDown, I want to say could be on a possible role, but we shall see. I do have a couple of questions in terms of a couple of missing superstars, such as Bray Wyatt has not been seen since Money in the Bank. We have not seen Tucker as of late either with Otis. So hopefully there's nothing serious going on there. If he opted to stay at home, we completely respect that decision. And that same rule applies to Bray Wyatt as well. Despite what WWE says publicly, there is a sense that if you don't work, you will lose your spot. So hopefully that is not the case because if you don't want to work during these trying times, during a fucking pandemic, then you have the right to stay at home. And we're not going to punish you or demonize you for that. And the fans should do the same thing. Support the wrestlers who have done so much for us, especially for our entertainment during this period in history that won't soon be forgotten. And on that note, this wraps up episode number 17 of the SmackDown Wind Down Recap on the highs and lows from Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at LadyWrestlingX. There you can find me tweeting about these podcast shows that drop on the semi-daily, recapping Monday Night Raw, AEW Dynamite, NXT, and Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. Feel free to download past episodes dating back to January 28th, 2020, which was the fallout from the Warrior Rumble dating all the way up to this show as we get ready for double or nothing tonight on pay-per-view fight international and br live it is 50 bucks a pop for us americans right here and it's a little cheaper overseas but if you're watching i will have the review ready for you on monday morning with special guest co-host tom batista with our double or nothing review right here on the wst network and always you can find me in all of your favorite podcast directories by searching Russell Subtopia on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, buzzsprout iHeartRadio, stitcher radio TuneIn plus amazon alexa and spotify so until monday enjoy your saturday and your sunday stay safe out there enjoy the spirit of memorial day weekend and don't forget above all else especially during our first holiday of the summer please don't forget to wash those hands see you later boys and girls take care